0: a moment ago that we're in a series called Running from God, and I know this can be kind of weird because you came to church. And you say, Kent, I'm in church. I think this would be a great message for all the losers that are not at church this morning, but I'm actually at church, so why do I need to be in a sermon called Running from God? And, and the simple truth of the matter is we all have areas of our lives where sometimes we can on the outside look like we are following God, and on the inside we're running from Him. Many of us are, are we, we just, this is just part of life. It's not right or wrong, but we just kind of develop compartments of our lives. I think men especially are good at this. And we have, you know, our, our marriage compartment, and we have our work compartment, our finance compartment, and entertainment. And we have all these different compartments. And we have our God compartment. And we can be following God in this one little area, but we're missing Him in all these other areas. And so I'm going to encourage you, maybe, maybe at first you're going, running from God. I'm not running from God. I would encourage you, don't check out, but lean in and just ask the Holy Spirit what he might have for you this morning. Our example in this series that we're, going to be, that we're looking at is the example from the Old Testament of a prophet named Jonah. And maybe you're not familiar with the Bible at all, but you're like, "Whoa, oh, I know that name, Jonah. He's the one who built the ark, right? Wrong. That was Noah. Jonah's the one who got swallowed by the whale, and you're thinking, well, I don't believe in fairy tales, that's a nice VeggieTales episode, but, but I don't believe in that stuff. Here's the thing, I, I, I don't, I'm not here to try to change your mind about this, but what I would say is 750 years after Jonah, Jesus talked about Jonah as if, as if he existed and if the events, as if the events that he went through happened, and so I, I choose to follow Jesus. And I just, I'm on the side that if, if a man is crucified and put in a tomb and three days later busts through the wall of death, that I can trust him and I can trust the things that he has to say. And so maybe for you this is hard for you to believe that a guy got swallowed by a whale and lived in a whale for three days and then got vomited out. But I'm, I'm here to tell you I, I'm a believer and uh, even if you don't get that part of it, even if you don't believe that part of it, my prayer is that you'll come along. But what we're looking at is last week we looked at Jonah chapter 1 and, and looked at the fact that he, we, have, we have Jonah at the very beginning. God gives him a very simple command, so simple that you could tweet it, and it was to take a message of judgment to a very a horrific uh, a part of the world, uh, the empire, this Assyrian empire to the capital city of Nineveh. And Jonah was to go to Nineveh and go to a people who are bloodthirsty and cruel. And I mean, the things that the historical accounts that we have about this time are insane that the the Assyrians did. And he's supposed to come and tell them the Lord's judgment is coming upon them. And if they don't repent, that they're going to be destroyed. And Jonah hears this command and he goes, I don't think so. Now we're going to find out next week, spoiler alert, the reason why is that he isn't afraid for his own life. He's actually afraid that they will listen and they will actually repent, and they won't get judged. And he wants them to be judged. He wants them to be destroyed. That's how hate, hateful that he had, the hate that he had for those people. And so, so he decides that he's going to run, and what he does is he gets in a boat, and from the place where he lives in Joppa, he heads to the farthest place in the known world, at that point in the ancient world, that you could possibly sail. He decides that he's going to go in the direction of Tarshish. And we talked about last week that there's several things that happen when we run. First of all, we tend to run to the strangest and most dangerous places. For Jonah, he gets on a boat, which for us we go, well, that's not that big of a deal. Getting on a boat in the ancient world 2,750 years ago was not, especially sailing to the farthest distance in the world that you could possibly sail at that point, is not a good idea. That's a dangerous idea. And I find that when we run from God and we decide I'm not gonna go in God's direction, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, we often run to the strangest and most dangerous places. We talked about last week that we ignore the consequences. And so sometimes like, there's consequences swirling around us, dysfunction, chaos, brokenness swirling around us, and we're totally ignorant to it. So Jonah is just living his best life ever, you know, down in the bottom of the ship, and he's having the time of his life. Meanwhile, a storm is happening outside the ship, a storm that's so severe that sailors, these sailors who had spent more time on the waters than they had on dry land, are freaking out and afraid for their lives. And Jonah, he's oblivious. He has no clue. And this is true when we're running from God. Often there's chaos swirling around us that other people in our lives go, that's not right. That's not the way things should go down. We don't even know the consequences. Number three, we talked about last week that we tend to hurt the people closest to us. And for Jonah, here he is on this ship full of people and and they are all being hurt because of his disobedience because he had decided to run from God. I can't tell you how many parents have sat down with me and said, man, I just wish that my son, I wish that my daughter knew the chaos that they're causing, not just for themselves, but for our whole family. I wish they understood. Here's the amazing thing. When we run... And when we hear the voice of our Heavenly Father calling our name and we turn toward Him, there is mercy available for us. That God isn't out to pay us back, He's, back to, He's out to win us back. He's trying to get us to come back to Him in spite of our running, God still gives us the opportunity to turn back. And this is what we see in the story of Jonah. In fact, the last verse of Jonah chapter one, this is where we left off last week. Jonah chapter one, verse 17 says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. And this is, this is crazy, isn't it? I, I'm wondering how many of you have ever watched that ancient animated film, Pinocchio, any of you ever seen Pinocchio? Seriously, raise your hand. I'm very interested about it. Yeah, okay. So I I guess technically I have. I don't think I've ever stayed awake through the whole movie. Because that movie I swear is like seven hours long. Any of you some of you are laughing. It's it's a weird movie, quite honestly. And but there's this part where I don't even under cuz I've never stayed awake for the whole thing so I don't know how this happens but Pinocchio ends up like inside a whale right and and the way that Disney portrays it as is like he's like in a cargo plane or something I mean he's got like all the room in the world I think if I remember right he's like lighting a lamp or something inside there and like he's got it's like a studio apartment or something inside there more than likely if Jonah being swallowed by a whale, you could think of it almost as being like swallowed by a snake. Like he, he probably would have been extremely constricted inside the space of the stomach. It would be like a baby who's been swaddled. Like there would be very little room, very little space to move at all. And that's how we need to think about this. So the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he's inside the fish in this situation for three days and three nights. He's acid washed by the end of this, probably no hair left on his body after this. I mean, this, this is not an ideal situation. So what happens next? We're gonna spend the rest of our time today in chapter two. Last week was chapter one. Today we're gonna be in Jonah chapter two, and if you're following along in a paper Bible, just start in, if you... If you Well, you can use the table of contents, that'll help you. Or you can go to the book of Matthew and just turn a few pages to the left and you'll find Jonah. But in Jonah chapter two, verse one, it starts out this way. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. You bet he did. (laughs) Right? Like, hello Captain, I mean, he is constricted in this space. What has he got to do? He's got all the time to pray. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are, or unspiritual you are, what, how you identify yourself religiously, if, if you find yourself in the belly of a fish, you're gonna be praying. So what did he pray? And I think even more importantly, how did God respond to his prayer? That's what we wanna talk about this morning. How does God respond when runners turn to him and pray? How does God respond to a runner's prayer? And the first thing that we're gonna learn is, first of all, God hears you. God hears you. The very next verse says this, Jonah said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he, or God, what? Answered "answered me. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord you, what's the word there? You heard me. This is, a, this is a great miracle that I don't, it's a mystery. I don't quite understand this, but God is so awesome and he's so powerful. The God who created the heavens and the earth, who created everything that exists, that is outside of time and yet he is inside of time, that out of seven billion people, when I cry out to him, when I begin to pray to him, here's a supernatural miracle. God actually hears me. He actually listens to me. When you cry out to God, God actually hears you, he listens to you, and our low points can become moments of God's supernatural intervention. Jonah is actually saying this, he's praying this prayer from the depths of the grave, and and maybe some of you in this room can relate. Maybe over the last couple weeks or months, your life has begun to unravel. And you find yourself, in fact, you thought you were at the lowest point in this, and, and this past week, you feel like you've sunk to even lower depths in your life. For some of you in this room, life has brought you to a place of absolute and utter pain. And I would encourage you, like Jonah, cry out to God. Sometimes we go, well, I did. I prayed once, nothing happened. I I think what we learned from this prayer that Jonah prayed is is you you just got to keep praying out. I don't think that this was just, I don't think this was a 10-minute prayer that Jonah prayed and then the rest of the three days he wasn't doing anything. I think these three days were all prayer and that this is the synopsis that we're reading here. And here's the great thing about God listening to us, God hearing us. God isn't like a human being. God isn't like Let me put it this way. Have you ever given advice, parents in this room, have you ever given advice to one of your kids or maybe students in this room? Have you ever given advice to a fellow student? And I mean, this is good advice. And they took that advice and totally ignored it and totally did the absolute opposite. Any of you ever had that experience? And then after a season, they come back to you, tail between their legs, you know, and well, that didn't work out so good and I... And what do you want to do? As a parent, what do you want to say? What I want to say is, I told you so. I want to say, you should have listened, you idiot. What's wrong with you? How stupid can you be, right? Like, that's what I want to say, and I'll be honest, there's probably been times where I've said something pretty similar to that. What I love about how God listens to us when we cry out to him is that God never says that. God never says, you stupid fill in the blanks, that when we come to God repentance and broken, God doesn't throw our past back in our faces. He doesn't do that with Jonah. Instead, he responds with what? He responds with grace and he responds with mercy. And this is the incredible thing about God, that God has so much grace available to his children. I think about the, I mean, we even have a song called Amazing Grace, Right? We, and, and, we, and we love this song. It's been around for hundreds of years. And we love this song. Why? Because God's grace is absolutely amazing. We can't believe it. We can't understand it. It seems so reckless to us, this grace of God. And so we wonder, why don't more people respond to God's grace? Have you ever wondered that? Why don't more people respond to God's grace? You know, I've, I, I think there's a lot of reasons. We could probably fill up a whole book with the reasons, but I think sometimes it's because of the set of lenses that people are wearing. We walk around with these set of lenses, which I love these lenses. I personally think that I kind of look like Bono and makes me want to pick up a guitar and start singing and see, see how high my voice registry can now reach, but... Sometimes we, we, we have this set of lenses, and for some, the set of lenses is this. The set of lenses is, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll respond to God's grace. I'll receive God's grace just as quickly as I get my life put together. As soon as I get my life cleaned up and I get everything right where it needs to go, and, and as, soon as, I can, as soon as I can get everything cleaned up, then I'll respond to the grace of God, I'll never forget a, a friend that I grew up with that I, I love like a brother, and I remember he was just running from God. I remember sitting down with him in a, in a restaurant in Sandusky, it's not even there anymore, and sitting across the table from him and, and just saying, Man, you, you've got to come back to Jesus. And that was his response I'll come back to Jesus when I get my life cleaned up. Can I tell you, this is a barrier. It's a barrier. It's a, it's a wrong set of lenses. It's the wrong way of looking at things. The nature of God's grace is that it's available before you've earned it, because you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You'll never get your life perfectly cleaned up. You'll never get things straightened out because you don't have it in you to even do that. In your brokenness, in your helplessness, in your powerlessness, cry out to Jesus. He has grace, he's waiting for you to cry out to him and he has grace, he won't say I, no you knucklehead, you sh- you've gotta get this stuff cleaned up, no he won't do that. That's the that's first set of lenses that I think keeps us from receiving the grace of God. But you know, there's another set of lenses that sometimes we wear, I, know, I look great, you're laughing because I look so awesome. The other other set of lenses that we wear that that keep us from receiving God's grace is this idea that I'm just going down with the ship. And maybe you haven't ran into someone like this, but I I hear variations of this. Maybe not in this exact wording, but I hear variations of this of, you know what, I understand that I'm sin-stained, pastor. I understand my sin. I understand the consequences of my sin. I understand that I'm someday gonna have to pay for my sin and I'm probably going to hell. But you know what, I'm gonna have as much fun as I can in the process. Like I'm going down with the ship, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna live life to the fullest in the meantime. Here's, here's the problem, there's several problems with that. First of all, you don't have to pay the penalty of your sin. That's not That's not a given, that's not I have to. In fact, that's the whole reason why Jesus went to the cross. In fact, if if, This is the reason Jesus went to the cross. He took upon himself the punishment and the penalty that we deserve. His last words were it is finished or you could actually translate it this way, it is paid in full. Now here's the the second problem with this set of lenses is I'm just gonna live life, I'm I'm gonna have fun, I'm gonna enjoy life all the way to the end. And here's what I would say to you. Yes, sin is enjoyable or we wouldn't do it. Sin is pleasurable, but here's the problem, it is pleasurable for a season. And the further you go in sin, the further it now begins to enslave you that what you once did for fun and for pleasure and because it relaxes me, now I need more of it, more of it, more of it, to the point where now I can't get away from it. It is completely wrapped its chains around me. Sin will always take you further than you wanna go. And even in that place, you can call out to God. If you can call out to God in the depths of the sea and a belly of a fish, you can call out to God chained and enslaved in sin and he will hear you. When a runner turns and cries out to God, the first promise that you have is that God hears you. Secondly, some of you are looking at your notes going, okay, there's a few of these. When are we gonna be done with it? I promise the next year are gonna go a lot quicker. Number two, God sees you. I love this. God not only hears you, when a runner prays to God, not only does God hear you, he sees you. Look at Jonah chapter two, verse three. Jonah says, you threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Pretty dramatic language going on there, right? This is, a, this is poetry, really. He's, he, he's using these words to express his emotions. Now here's the interesting thing. Did Jonah write this prayer in the belly of a fish? It's a technical question. He prayed this prayer in the belly of the fish, but he didn't write this prayer in the belly of the fish. And you say, well, Ken, how do you know that? Well, scripture doesn't tell me that. I'm using a little bit of common sense here. So Jonah now is writing this. He's remembering the prayer that he prayed. He's now on dry land. He's now alive. He survived, spoiler alert, he survives all this, right? He he has survived all this and now he is looking back and as he looks back over his experience, he's so thankful that God got his attention. He's so thankful for the circumstances that God brought him through. He's so thankful that even in the depths of the sea that God saw him and that God cared about him. Sometimes we feel like God doesn't see us. Sometimes we feel like what we are going through is so difficult and that there's no way God can be in it. And can I tell you that even in those moments, God not only hears you, but He sees you. He sees you. I remember about seven or eight months ago, I had a conversation with a young woman who had just severe health issues going on in, in her life. and. And, and I just loved her attitude. She always had an attitude of just wanting to serve others and, and, and nurses that would minister to her. She was trying to find ways to, to minister the gospel to them and minister God's love to them. And, and she, would say, she would say this. She'd say, I, I would never choose to go through this, but I know that I've become more like Jesus in this. And it like broke me, <laughs> right? Right? seeing someone in her condition I know I'm becoming more like Jesus in this can I tell you I I don't pretend to know what you're going through some of you feel like you are in the the bottom of the ocean where God couldn't possibly see you but he sees you and in your pain he cares about you and sometimes not all the time sometimes God is using that pain C.S. Lewis said it this way he said pain is a megaphone That it might be a way of God trying to get your attention. God will use your pain to transform you if you will turn to him. And I know in my life, most of the life-changing, character-building, growth times in my life have been preceded by pain. By betrayal of other people. Anger. Hurt. What I know in my life is that God, if I choose to allow him to, will speak through those situations. So when a runner turns to God and prays to God, God hears that runner's prayer, he sees you in that, here's the third thing, and you're not gonna like this, God corrects you. God hears you, he sees you, and he will correct you. Now here's the problem, in our culture, correction and discipline have become dirty words. It's one of the reasons why I think our culture is breaking down so quickly. Let me just read verse four. Then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet, I will look once more toward your holy temple. In in one translation, it says it this way. Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight. You know, the worst thing that can possibly happen is that God takes his presence off of you. There's there's this passage in the Old Testament, it's in the book of Judges, where a great, great man of God that God had gifted, God had actually, Scripture actually says that God placed his spirit upon this man and and God had great calling and purpose for him and and he just decided he was gonna do things the way that he was gonna do them. He wasn't gonna listen to God, he wasn't gonna do things God's way. His name is Samson. And one of the saddest verses in the old, Old Testament is where God takes his spirit off of Samson and Samson never even knows it. Never even senses it. Never even knows that the Holy Spirit has departed from his life. Can I tell you, one of the worst things that can happen is God's presence is taken off of you. His peace is taken off of you. His provision is taken off of you. But you know, sometimes he will correct us through other situations and ways because he wants us to come to the place of looking back on his holy temple. Correction is not a bad thing. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, speaking of God, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? And I would add, or by its mother. We live in a culture and a time where discipline is not practiced, where kids rule the house. Kids are the CEO of the homes, and they make the decisions, and parents don't want to disrupt their kids, and they don't want their kids to be angry at them. But here's here's the deal. God is the perfect heavenly father. Moms and dads in this room, grandparents, your children, your grandchildren need discipline more than you realize Now, let's be clear. When I talk about discipline, I'm not talking about abuse. God is not abusive. He's not abusive. I'm not talking about an abusive discipline. I'm talking about he will correct you. I remember, so when I was growing up, our situation, I know this is not normal at all, but our situation was that my dad worked outside the house, worked quite a few hours outside the house, and my mom, for most of my childhood, she would have a few side jobs, but most of the time she was in the house. And so, so who do you think we bugged the most growing up? My mom or my dad? It's not a trick question. My mom, right? My dad's at work. He doesn't know what's going on. And so he knew what was going on. They're in here, and I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble after this. So, <laughs> so, so here's what I, this is such a great thing, though. My mom, when we would disobey, when we would do whatever, she would, she would call us out, and she would say these words, wait until your dad gets home right? This was so smart, because she wasn't, dis- if she disciplined us in that moment, it would have been done out of anger, right? Because we had ticked her off. We had crossed the line one too many times, right? If she would have disciplined us in a moment, it probably wouldn't have, but her words were, wait until your father gets home, right? And so I'm telling you, most of the time, that'd be the worst discipline of all. The whole rest of the day, you're just like, oh crap. <laughs> Here's, car coming into the driveway I'd run upstairs put on as many pairs of underwear as I possibly could (laughs) and I'd get ready right and here's the truth of matter I hope I'm not uh, you guys will have a great lunch afterward today talking about this but I'll be honest my mom spanked a lot harder than my dad did now I don't think that that's because my dad physically couldn't spank harder I don't think he was as emotionally invested in the spanking he had been at work all day right (laughs) And so he came home, and so I'm not talking, some of you go, spanking? I think spanking is good if it's done right. You can send me your emails afterward. You can argue all day long. Listen, whatever form of discipline you choose, you better have a form of discipline. And it better be consistent and it better be clear. It better, as they get older and they can understand, discipline changes. My parents didn't spank me when I was an adolescent. I mean, they, they stopped at a certain point because they knew there was other ways to discipline. But was, when I was super small, I didn't know any better. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Correction is not a negative word. Biblical correction brings Realignment. And so the Lord disciplined Jonah. He, Jonah could have been in that fish for three minutes, and I promise you, it would have felt like long enough to Jonah. But God kept him in that fish for three days. You know what? I, as soon as my mom would say, "Wait until your dad gets home," I would flop to the floor like an NBA bo- basketball player. Right? Like, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again. Please forgive me. I'd cry like a crocodile. Like a, I, I'd have it. And my mom, no, she was being consistent. She was being clear. And sometimes discipline, we don't like the length of it. We don't like going through it. But if we will respond correctly, it will bring realignment to our lives. And when it's done right and it's not abusive, we look back and we go, thank God. How many of you in this room, thank God for parents who disciplined you correctly? Yeah. I know for some of you it wasn't done right. I know for some of you there were, there were issues with it. But your Heavenly Father is Perfect. So here's the deal. Runners, when you cry out to God, you can count on the fact that God will hear you. You can count on the fact he sees you, even in what you're going through, even when you feel like you're in the depths of the ocean. You can count on the fact that he will correct you, because he is a perfect, loving, heavenly father, and he wants you to be realigned with his purposes. And then fourth, you can count on the fact that he loves you. God loves you, The end of Jonah uh, chapter two goes this way, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. I love that line, for my salvation, my rescue comes from God alone. He's the only one who could rescue me. And to what lengths does he go to rescue us? How do we know that God loves us? He rescued us by sending his son Jesus to become one of us, to go to the cross, to take upon himself our punishment. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then we have the last verse of chapter two is you're gonna love this before you go out for, to eat today. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now this is a polite way of putting it. He vomited Jonah, all of the contents of his stomach, Jonah included, all got vomited out onto dry land. We're gonna pick up next week, there is a chapter three and a chapter four what I, want you, what I want you to know today is it doesn't matter how far you've run from God, how little you've run from God. And we don't need to compare our stories with each other and, well, I've ran farther or I've done worse things or any of that. Running is running. Are you running from God? Is there a place in your life Maybe nobody else has even seen it, but is there a place in your life where you know that you're walking in disobedience? place in your life where you've just decided, I know better than God. I'm gonna do things the way that I wanna do them. Are you running? Today, you can reach out to him. Today, you can call out to him, and here's the guarantee. When you pray to your heavenly father, he hears you. He sees you. He corrects you because he loves you. He loves you, he has your best interests at heart. He loves you. He loves you not just with words, he loves you with action. Maybe you've been going through life with the wrong set of lenses. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I've I've thought that I'll come to God when I get it all cleaned up, when I get it all made right. Take those glasses off. Maybe for you, you're the guy, I'm, I'm just going to, or the lady who's, I'm, I know I'm going to pay for my sin. So I'm just going to try to be as happy as I can and do as much it pleases me as I can along the way. And we'll figure things out at the end. You don't have to pay. Jesus paid it. You can turn to Jesus. You can ask Jesus for mercy. You know, one of the greatest prayers in the New Testament, sometimes we think of prayer as complicated. There's a prayer where a tax collector is is worshiping and he can't even look up to the sky. He just keeps looking down. He's beating his chest. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. That's like his entire prayer. And Jesus says he's the one who walks away from the prayer meeting knowing that God has heard him. Are you running? You could pray. You can cry out to him. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We didn't do this in the first service, but I just feel very clearly that we're to respond. Maybe you've been running from God. We're to respond by running back to him, by coming back to him, by physically making a move toward him. I know this, like even I've debated the Holy Spirit in this because, but to not do this, I'd be running from him. Because I know this, I know some of you are gonna be like, I can't respond, that's embarrassing. What will someone think? What will they think that I've been doing? I haven't been running as bad as other people in the room and so by me coming up, it's gonna make me look like I'm like an adulterer or something. No, you know who you are. If you've been running from God, no matter how far or how short, you say, today I want to cry out to God. I, don't know, I want to invite you just to come to the, to the front. We just, I just want to pray with you, pray for you. You can come right now. Join my friends up here that are already coming. You're running and you, you want to you pray, you want to come back to God this morning. You wanna know that he hears you and that he loves you, that he corrects you, that he sees you, that he loves you. Anybody else? He loves you so much. He loves you so much. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about this morning. It's because he loves you. That's why he's calling you. Some of you, you got the back sweats right now. You're like, oh, I know I'm supposed to go, but I don't. Man, just give up and come. Just give up and come. Who knows what God's gonna do in your life in this moment? This might be a place of freedom for you. This might be a place of breakthrough for you. I'm gonna ask those in this room who... You've ran in the past and God's gotten your attention and you turn to him and you know that he heard you. He know he sees you. He, he's corrected you. He loves you. And, and you, you see these people and you're like, man, I want to pray with them. I just believe God's going to do something in their lives. Would you come right now and just, let's just surround these individuals. We're not going to be weird. Just come behind them. Put a hand on a shoulder. Guys with guys, ladies with ladies. And if you still want to come and maybe even find a place to kneel, you're welcome to while we're praying. Thank you, Jesus. So if you've come, this it doesn't, it's not complicated. It's just Lord have mercy on me. Lord have mercy on me. Thank you that you hear me. Thank you that you see me. Thank you that you correct me. I'll I'll take the correction. Thank you that you love me. I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. I'm done running. I'm done running. Taking off my running shoes. I just want to be barefoot before you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can just say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I want you to be the master and leader of my life. He hears you. He knows you. He loves you. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, I pray for my friends, not only the ones who are up here in the front, but the ones that are out in the in the congregation. God, I just speak your love and your blessing over them. I speak your help over them. I pray that they would turn to you, they would experience and encounter your love, that your love would flow over them, your compassion would flow over them. For your glory, O oh God, in Jesus' name. We're gonna keep praying up here. For those of you who need to go, you're dismissed. There's greeters to take your connection cards. But please continue to pray up here. We're going to keep playing the music. As you leave, please leave as quietly as you can so we can just continue to pray with each other.